Welcome to episode 12 of Heart of the Bookkeeper, which delivers an amazing story and a journey of one of Australia's longest standing and much loved bookkeepers. My name is Rob Marshall, and this podcast is brought to you by the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers, an organisation and a bunch of amazing people who are all about bookkeepers helping bookkeepers helping business. Our guest today is someone many of you may know or at least will recognise her voice, I reckon. Deb Thompson is the voice of ICB's technical online webinars, produced and run several times a month here in Australia and have been for many years now. Even if you don't know a lot about Deb, or perhaps you think you do know Deb, I implore you to settle into this episode and be amazed by her life to date. The incredible story of her mum taking on men in business in the 1950s through to Deb's own inroads and journey into bookkeeping in the 1970s and what that looked like. The sad loss of a daughter, a major health incident and Deb's connection with Margot Robbie and Rebecca Gibney is truly amazing and is totally worth the listen. I'm loving bringing you episode 12 of Heart of the Bookkeeper, Deb Thompson. Our guest today on Heart of the Bookkeeper is someone whose voice will be very familiar to many in the bookkeeping community here in Australia. She is one of Australia's arguably longest serving bookkeepers, and we'll get into that in a few moments and is very much the face and voice of the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers technical webinars for those who get the, uh, the, the wisdom that comes with that on a weekly, sometimes fortnightly basis. Deborah Thompson, welcome to Heart of the Bookkeeper. Well, thank you, Rob. Um, I'm very chuffed and thank you so much for that nice introduction. Well, there's no doubting that um, many tuning in now will go, oh, you yeah, I know that lady's voice. She's the one that, uh, you know, with that Pauline Walton that does those tech webinars. How, how you know, I'm still fairly uh, new. I'm the new boy on the block that you guys refer to still, even though I'm two years in. Um, how, how long have you actually been doing the Institute's tech webinars for the Institute? Um, I think we've been doing the webinars since about 2010. That's a lot of lot of webinars. That's a lot of um, you know warped GST, I reckon, along the way, and a few other interesting conversations and topics. So, for, if you're a member of the institute and you haven't uh, tuned into one of our technical webinars, uh, you definitely should do. The wisdom that this lady imparts on a regular basis is absolute gold, and has uh, helped many many bookkeepers over many years. Well, we're going at least a decade now. I might also add that Deb is also the voice of the newsletter, the literal voice of our uh, ICB newsletter. Uh, you can tune in and listen to Deb's uh, audio book, as we now call it. Deb, um, yeah. how long have you been doing that for? That one's been around a while. I've been doing that again since about 2006. Yeah, 2009 probably. Uh, You are very familiar to um, many listeners, but to others, uh, I want to sort of reference the fact that uh, Deb has been a bookkeeper by my mathematics for 40, nearly 45 years. So, uh, and the fact that she's only uh, 53 makes it incredibly, uh, that's a very early start in life for bookkeeping there, Deb. Look, I was very erudite. Is that the correct word? Yes, (laughs) a prodigy. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely love it. So tell, tell us about the prodigy. Where where did it all start for you? I, I know you're in uh, the beautiful area of Queensland these days, and I think most know know or think of you as a Queenslander, but it didn't start out there, did it? No, no, I was born in Melbourne, um, and I still have a house in Melbourne, but I can't come back to Melbourne because my daughter won't move out. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> along with the border that hasn't let you do that recently anyway. But <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Melbourne was was home for how long for you? Um, we moved into Queensland in about 1994, but I my family loved to travel and we did travel a lot. Um, mm. I hit 20 and was out of the country really fast. And, yeah, so we travelled all through the 70s and 80s. Um, I, yeah, I have noted. Yes, you, you've mentioned that you did 
spend time in uh, London and on the Gold Coast as well. So you have been sort of around the place, you might say. But these days, I, I ask this question regularly on the podcast, is is Brisbane home or is Queensland home for you now or is it still a yearning to maybe one day get back to Melbourne? Look, definitely it is still Melbourne and Queensland and even London because my husband's from London. And um, so, you know, there's still always that fight. You know, you you perhaps never settle in one place. I was I was talking to Deb just briefly prior to uh, us uh, recording this podcast and a lot of the guests that we've had on the podcast over the, the, the year or so now that we've been going, we've had incredible uh, contact with, with um, some amazing guests. Um, but Deb, for me, gave a different perspective on going back through um, a chronological timeline, you might say, of her life by pointing out to me that for her, many, many of the markers of her life have been maybe a little bit different to how some of us view it. Do you want to sort of go into that, Deb, and explain a little bit about how you kind of reflect on things from time to time? Well, well my mum was a really strong woman who just took on life when she had to, which she had to. And um, so we used to always measure time by where we were and what business she was in. Mm. You know, she was a publican. She ended up being a publican for a long time. And we'd go, okay, we were in this hotel from 59 to 70, you know, 62. And then we were there from, you know, 63 to 70, 67. And we measured time. And then also too, I guess, as I've got older, we measure time by the people in our lives. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I, um, you know, obviously the birth of your children, you know, is something that um, it's before kids and then after kids. But it's also too, you know, maybe even the losses of, of family as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know dad wasn't around for very long in your life. In fact, it was... It's, it's not really a memory you do have, I'm guessing. No, in fact, um, I don't even know his birthday, which I only just recently realised. I don't know the day my father was born because I was five weeks old when he died. Mm. But or for me, this was interesting. When I um, had a brain aneurysm in, 19, in 2003, we actually, it gave us actually information about my father's death. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, isn't it amazing how sometimes you've got to have a life event of your own to be able to actually access information that, you know, would normally be freely available. So the fact that dad passed away so early, did that influence your mum? And I know having talked to you in the past that mum obviously was probably the biggest influencer in your life and for obvious reasons. And she certainly lived an amazing life. Do you want to tell us a little bit about mum? She was just so tough and in a in a nice way, but she was a bit of a hurricane sometimes. You know, in, in her good days, we'd sometimes she'd be a bit of a bit of a hurricane. But she would just go for things. She would when my father died, um, her and neighbours who she was very good friends with, they decided to go in to, um, you know, get a pub, be, become a publican. And so she lied and said she had no kids and got herself a job in a pub so that she could learn about it. And oh, then wow. went and got a, a, a country Victoria. She went and um, licensed a pub for three or four years. So we're, we're talking 1950s, 50s. 1960s, yeah? yeah? No, 1950s, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... I wasn't necessarily around then, but uh, though some might claim that I was. Um, but, I mean, 1950s, I don't, I don't expect that many women were leading businesses back then, am I right? You know, it sounds like she was very much an innovator in, or a, a, somebody in her time that was before her time. Well, we always laugh because she always, during the war, she managed a shop, a shoe shop, and um, she always was very proud of the fact that she earned men's wages. She got yeah. five pound a week and that was important to her that she that she got the same as a man did. And what were they, I know there were a number of businesses that spun off from the, um, from the pub as well. There was a catering business at some stage, is that correct? Yeah, well, we, we went in, she went in and out, licensed um, different hotels in different places around Victoria and in, in Melbourne. And then eventually in about 67, um, she decided to get out of the pubs because six o'clock closing went and she um, decided that she'd go into catering. 
So we went into catering. That's what my, my mother said. We're going to catering. That's what we did. <laughs> and what was the role that uh, a young Deb Thompson played in the catering business? You know, were you part of the uh, the delivery, or you know, were you the early Uber Eats, or what was the what was the? <laughs> I was definitely the waitress. I was. Definitely... You were the waitress, right? <laughs> so, was a, a, a traditional restaurant style, or was it a bakery, or what no, sort no, of it was reception was rooms. We did people's weddings, right? So, okay, and you know, and did like the Lions Club. And, yeah, okay. um, you know, different meetings like that for dis- different business people and yeah. weddings and engagements and 21sts and things like that. So this, this sort of was the first, what, 10, 12 years of your life or beyond or how long? No, that did we, was, uh... that, I was saving money to go overseas. So that was sort of when I was 17. Right, um, okay. Prior to that, I had been working, well, I wasn't, a, I had been working in the pub though I wasn't allowed to. My mother really didn't want me, a girl, round near the, the pub. So I actually lived with my grandparents for a long time. Right. And But during holidays I'd go and they were normally country pubs, so she'd have a dining room. She used to mm-hmm. do 600 counter lunches in one of the pubs, and but she'd had a dining room and usually there were one or two people. So she'd let me be the waitress wow. for those one or two people. What an amazing lady and, and all the time having to support you and, and did you have brothers and sisters? I did, I, have, yes, or, yeah, 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 I have two brothers. But right, yeah, okay. was, she was, as I said, a force of nature. Absolutely. I just, I mean, I was uh, also fortunate to have a mum who was incredibly business-minded and, and certainly um, had the ability to take, um, you know, take on anything basically and she did across her journey along with my dad. So I, I have, I've had a similar journey but mum always had dad there with her and obviously your mum didn't have that and to be able to not only engineer um, the business process itself and, and, and also run it but to be able to support you, you guys, you kids as well, is just exceptional. What an amazing lady. I mean, she was very fortunate. She had sisters who, you know, were really helpful to her and her parents that really, you know, really helped her. I mean, my grandmother, as I said, I lived with her until I was 15 on and off. What a fantastic family support mechanism that turned out to be. And I know from talking to you uh, regularly, uh, that's that's put you into amazing stead in the latter parts of your life because around about that time, that age where we're all starting to work out where we are or what we're going to do, I've noted you've uh, mentioned to me before that uh, a couple of things could have gone your way that would be very, very different right now to bookkeeping and that was you've you've listed here you could have easily have ended up being an architect. You You looked at landscaping, graphic design, you even got into funerals at one stage, and but most of all, and right in your hitting zone, and uh, this is what I really want to dig into, you, you really, really believed that um, acting and the opportunity to become a star was uh, something that you, <laughs> you you absolutely desired. Tell tell me, tell us about the uh, the acting side of Deb Thompson. Well, I don't know if you're if you're old enough, Rob, to remember Haley Mills. But I wanted, Hayley, to, I wanted to be mm. the Australian Hayley Mills is what I want. Right. And the class, one of my classic stories about me wanting to be an actor is my aunt who just was a, the most wonderful, wonderful person, always was, you can do anything you want. Don't worry about it. You can do it. So she contacted Crawford's, which in those days was, you know, the, the television um, studio in, in Victoria, and she said, come on, we'll go in, we'll take you for an interview, you know, we'll get you a, you know, you'll be a child actor. We went in for the interview and we had a nice interview, it was very nice, but the hilarious thing was that she got offered the job, not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I know, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a shock. <laughs> Is that one that you uh, are still a little bit dirty on her about or have you come to forgive her for that one? <laughs> no, no, I definitely forgave her because I actually tried to talk her into taking it and doing it because I thought that was another way in for me, that yeah. if she was there then she would, then I'd get to know people, you know, who, who could be. But I do actually have an, um, an actor's union card. I am a member of the union. Wow, and I'm just going to call it out. Deb's, um, you know, very humble and she wouldn't call it out herself, but I'm just going to say 
if you uh, you want to go back, and we might uh, sort of dig a few of these up on YouTube perhaps, but she has been on the set with, and I'll, I'll rattle them off, no, no less than the likes of Rebecca Gibney, uh, Jeremy Sims, Jodie Foster, Gerard Butler, and Margot Robbie. So if you're um, thinking, you know, Deb's uh, journey to Crawford's didn't work out, well, in actual fact, it did to a degree. So t- tell me about, in particular, I know you were on uh, in one of Margot Robbie's early movies. What was that? Um, it was the first first movie and, and it was called ICU. And it was a, uh, a great friend of mine who is um, a director, an actor, a director himself. And um, I got to be a policeman at the end of the movie. But it was her first, her first, very first movie. She was doing acting classes with Ash. And from there, she actually got the guts to go down to, to Neighbours and get herself a job. And that's where she took off from. So... Yes, I know Margot. She wouldn't oh, know me, but I know her. <laughs> oh, I'm a huge fan of Margot. I reckon she's an absolute beauty, um, I've got to say. You know, so I might be looking for an autograph at some stage, Deb, if you, if you can <laughs> arrange that. But I, I'm just having a little bit of a giggle to myself. You know, you, you started at ICU and it looks like you're going to end at ICB. So you, <laughs> you sort of, <laughs> you've kind of uh, just, you know, sort of rolled with the acronym, I'm, I'm guessing, just ended up in two different, very different places. So... What was it about acting that sort of grabbed you? What you know, you just felt. It is, was it theatre or was it movies or what was it that you wanted to to really get with the theatre, movies, anything? You stick a camera in front of me, and I'm there. I mean, I guess that's what made me do the tech webinars. You put a camera and a microphone near me, and I will talk into it. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm I'm starting to get visions now of the next tech webinar. You know, just seeing if instead of Pauline Walton, we might be able to get Margot Robbie as your assistant, but I'm just, you know, thinking out loud here. I don't know how Pauline will think about that. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Rob, I what, do have YouTube. I do I do have proof because you can find me on YouTube, but in right, some of them okay. you will only see my left ear or my elbow <laughs> or my, my, my bun on my head. I'm very versatile. <laughs> I, I, a rumour going around was that you were even a zombie in a movie. Is that right? I was with K9. <laughs> I spent three days, three days with cucumbers on my eyes. I was supposed to be a, a, a woman. I had, had curlers in my hair, um, moisturiser on my face, cucumbers on my eyes, and I had to be a zombie. But K9, if anyone remembers Doctor Who's K9, mm, mm, um, mm-hmm. K9 saved us. <laughs> There you go. Well, you know, rattle out the YouTube, um, I don't know, how do we find out uh, some of these ears that, or um, <laughs> buns? How do I we see to, these? <laughs> I'd, have to tell you, I'd have to tell you the point. But um, the reason that I, I know with Rebecca Gibney is um, the Trainville train disaster. They made, yes. the, they made a movie about that or a two-part mm-hmm. series And I spent, again, I don't know why it seems to be always three days, but three days up in the Brisbane court where we were the people sitting in the court um, for the inquest. Yes, Granville, was it? Yeah, yeah, Granville. Granville. Yes, Granville, that's the one. So you can actually, yes, but you'll never know it's my hair, but it's my hair. <laughs> so, so, and the landscaping and the architecture—they were fleeting moments, or were they? They were, uh, fleet, you know, just sort of yep. interest and part-time jobs <laughs> and things like that that you could, you know, maybe. I, I've always been interested in architecture. I've, I decided I'm quite eclectic. I'm eclectic in my music taste. I'm eclectic in my interest. You give me a, a plan of a house. I'm really mm. happy. I love looking at plans. Mm. Um, I'm not good at building, but I'm I like looking at the plans. So I also note that you, in the day you were uh, fairly competitive with some sport, with tennis and, and skiing was your other love. What, I know. Anyone, was... who, anyone who sees me, I'm sure they would never suspect that I actually used to play competition tennis. Not well, but I played. Oh, well, I'm going to go with that uh, anybody who plays tennis and can, uh, you know, hit one down the line or whatever, I think that's, uh, that's all you need to do. But... I'm going to sort of uh, throw it out there through Heart of the Bookkeeper in this episode that, 
you potentially are up there in my mind as one of the longest serving living bookkeepers perhaps going around, you know. So 1977, I've got you down as being when you uh, first encountered bookkeeping. We had um, Melissa Foote on, on a recent episode who referred to herself as an accidental bookkeeper. Would you say that you were a bit the same and, and how did it all start for you? Well, I went to secretarial college mainly because my mother wouldn't let me go to NIDA and I still hold that one against her. (laughs) But um, I went to secretarial college and I was really good at bookkeeping. Um, I travelled for a few years and um, I came back for the family business and when we got out of the family business, I thought, what can I do? Oh, I liked bookkeeping. Let's get a job and it'll be so much easier (laughs) than yeah. catering. So mm. I got myself a job and, yeah, 1977. And was it love at first sight with bookkeeping or was it a case of, um, you know, this does give me the nine to five I'm looking for and, you know, that's where it's at or did it sort of resonate with you straight away that bookkeeping was something that you could really get yourself into? I really, I really loved it and, yeah, I, I actually got in this particular job got to the point where we I really only ended up with two weeks a month work and I didn't mm. know what to do with myself and but I really loved it and we had a telex machine that's um, that definitely ages me having a telex machine and an electric typewriter we were a very cool office <laughs> so for for the record just for you know us young people <laughs> I'm going to rock with that since I've called myself out as as old earlier. For us younger people, what was a telex machine? What did a telex machine do? A telex machine was the way we communicated with Europe. Um, We typed in our message and we ended up with this long tape with holes in it. And Mm -hmm. we could take time typing it out and get a very long message if we wanted to. And then we would dial the number of another telex machine in Europe, wherever we were going, and run that tape much faster. So it meant that our telephone bills were a lot smaller because we weren't paying for a long time of, you know, sitting and typing. And it was the cheapest form of communication that we could have with um, companies that we were agents for from Europe mm. in Australia. And in a recent episode, we had uh, June Carter from the UK join us and she was explaining a little bit about bookkeeping in the 70s and 80s in in the UK. Maybe, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience as a bookkeeper in the 70s and 80s. I, I think um, uh, June refer- referred to it as flowy in the corner. In other words, you know, I think her, what she was referencing was the bookkeeper was very much, you know, kept out of sight, out of mind and just got on with the job. Was that your experience or, or even then was bookkeeping a little bit more sort of advanced, do you think, here in Australia? Well, I, I, and I didn't mention to you, I like to be, I like to look behind the curtain. And this mm. first job that I got with bookkeeping was great because I sat between, between the two guys who owned the business and they talked over me. And the reason that they talked over me was because they were pretty good, they really liked to drink. So they would leave at one o'clock for lunch and probably didn't see them. So I was dealing with whatever... I'd heard in conversation across from them. And so I got this really interesting uh, way of learning about international business. And as I said, I like to look behind the curtain and really see, oh, how how does this work? How do we Mm. do this? Mm. And so in the first instance, the actual bookkeeping was on ledger cards. We had a a ledger card. We had the very expensive piece of... um, uh, God, I can't even think of the word, uh, you know. Uh, Not the Kalamazoo, was it? Oh, no, no, this was before Kalamazoo. Oh, this before just, Kalamazoo. This was right. just, oh, what is it? Goodness me, oh, how old am I? Um, what's the, <laughs> <laughs> with a bit of paper well, in between anyway. And oh, I, the carbon, I, carbon copy. You, thank you, yes. that's the word I was Yeah, searching. yeah, I, even I might have toted around the carbon copy at one point. Yeah, and so I would write on the, we had a pretty statement, so I'd write on the statement and it would go through to the ledger card yeah. and then yeah. I would write it into a red journal and then yeah. at the end of the month I filled out forms, sent them to the accountant and then three months later we would get back a profit and loss and balance sheet. Wow. So, and that was, we thought we, we thought that was pretty advanced that we actually got a profit and loss, you know, like once a quarter. 
I would say you probably were well advanced because I know, you know, around a similar time observing my dad and his businesses, you know, that a profit and loss on a balance sheet was a once a year event. That was it. You know, when the accountant did the tax, that's when you finally got a bit of a lens on how the business had actually been going. So if you were getting them back then three monthly, that was that that was ahead of its time. And and we did that because we were sending money in Australian dollars out of the country and we had to go through a lot of hoops to actually yeah. be allowed to send money on consignment back um, out of the country. And we yeah. were importing things that the government was using as well we were in, in the plastics industry. So, yes, I felt very advanced. Very <laughs> advanced. And, we'll, and, you know, we talk a lot now, you know, we talk as a, as a community here in Australia, we're really sort of starting to try and, you know, well, we're not trying, we have successfully lifted the profile of bookkeeping, especially probably in the last 10 years or so in the term professional bookkeeper. Back then, did you use the term bookkeeper? Was that the word or was it, were you more secretarial or, or what, what was happening no, back then? No, I always, I always went as the bookkeeper, you know, maybe slash office manager, that sort yeah. of thing. And it wasn't yep. until 1986 that um, we actually got computers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In nineteen, the nineteen mid nineteen eighties sort of yeah. started to bring about that revolu- uh, revolution, didn't it? Yes. Before we get to to the next part that I want to explore and you know bring the listeners into an amazing sort of story about, and that is the er- very very early years of MYOB and your experiences there. Um, tell me a little bit about you. You met Martin, and uh, how did that all come to pass? Well, I always tell the story that Martin saved me from two Frenchmen. I was in <laughs> London. I was in London. We all London. need saving from Frenchmen. <laughs> we absolutely did. And I was in London and this lass took pity on me. I'd only been in England a couple of weeks and she said, it's Easter, let's go out and have a drink. And she took me to this pub on the King's, King's Road um, in Chelsea and we went in there and these two French guys started to try and chat us up and we weren't interested. Uh, we kept walking around and I kept moving around the pub and we ended up almost exactly where we were but further back from the bar and I looked up and he was standing there and I don't know if, if you've ever seen the movie The Great Race. Yes, I have. With Tony, Tony Curtis, Curtis and he was yeah. the hero and every time yeah. he smiled, he, his teeth twinkled. Well, I sort <laughs> of had that experience with Martin, <laughs> which, yeah, and but unbeknownst to me, when he went to get me a drink, he certainly gave the uh, Frenchman a bit of, you know, get out, move away. Move a hurry up. <laughs> yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> Oh, wow. What a man. I know, what a man. There's a movie in itself. I mean, surely, you know, you could get Margot Robbie to play yourself perhaps, you know. I could, absolutely. I totally look like it. (laughs) (laughs) What a great story. And then is it like the rest was history, you know? Absolutely, the rest was history. Yeah. I was was going um, on a trip to, because, you know, all of us Australians used London as a base and I would work and then I'd go. So, and I was off on a trip to cycle around Holland and, um, you know, so I said, I'll see you in two weeks. Very happily I did. And he took some time off to actually show me around London when I came back. And yeah, um, you know, we've been together ever since. And it does seem a day too long, Rob, sometimes. (laughs) Fantastic. So, well, in some ways we give thanks to those two Frenchmen. I mean, they precipitated something that uh, has gone on to be, what, so about 40-plus years now of marriage? Yes, yeah, yeah, we got married in 1977. Yeah, so about the same time as your bookkeeping journey started. And and I want to call it out, we've got some listeners, we're uh, we're able to see we have some listeners to heart of the bookkeeper in France, and we love everybody in France. We're not calling out uh, those Frenchmen for anything other than they started a fire. So we're we're very happy for that. And uh, definitely one of my favourite places that I've ever visited on the planet. We love uh, France and looking forward to getting back there at some stage. Um, Paris, in particular, magnificent uh, place to go and visit. Oh, so, did you know? Did you know, Rob? I actually went to a fashion design parade in in Paris. I didn't know that, Deb, but it definitely does not surprise me because <laughs> <laughs> you, you've you've got a, a, a rap sheet here that just continues to amaze. So, <laughs> so 
met Martin back in Australia, married, settled in Melbourne initially, or was that the move to Queensland? No, no, we set, we settled in Melbourne, but we spent a lot of time every couple of years we were going back and forth to England. Right. And because we, yeah. we because when I first met him, I said my mum said, "Come to Australia." So we yeah. came and had a holiday, and then we got back on a plane and came back to London, and. Yeah, we were in London two weeks and he went, oh, let's go back to Australia. And but and so that sort of back and forth happened for quite a bit of time. And children came along. Um, I know your daughter, Christine, is the one that's uh, residing in the house in Melbourne that you can't get back to. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I can't get her out of my house. Yes. Yes, yeah. my baby. But my baby's not so baby anymore. She's a big girl. No, <laughs> no. And, and you, you had a, a another daughter who didn't. Uh, is no longer with us, is that correct? No, no, yeah. she, um, yes, it was, I just didn't do well at staying pregnant and alive, so, um, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, which is how it happened. But, yeah, so that was pretty tough for us during that time. You were saying as part of um, um, the recollections of your life that um, around that time, 1985, I think it was, is is something that is very hard for you to even, you know, put together that particular year and I, I know, you know, I that's... honestly have no, I honestly have no recollection of what we did specifically. I mean, I know, you know, we got up, neither of us worked for the whole, my husband and I, neither of us worked for the whole year and, yeah, it, it it's just a year that went by. Yeah, yeah, and many know a similar story for myself and my wife, you know, 1999 is our year, the year that we just kind of look back and go, Where, what happened? We just have no memory of that. So some of the markers in our life um, aren't just defined by our occupations or where we live, but certainly events like that can sometimes define not only who we are, but our memories as well. Absolutely. And yes, it's, it's something that you don't expect yeah, absolutely. It, um, um, but we won't um, we won't delve too much on the on on that side of things. Uh, even though, can I ask the name of your daughter? Did you know Rebecca? Her? Rebecca, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So Christine and Rebecca, and Christine uh, still um, uh, ma- making an impact in your life in a major way, which is beautiful, even uh, if yeah. it is stealing your home in Melbourne, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Re- uh, Christine, by the way. Um, when the, you mentioned the brain, my brain aneurysm. Yes. Yeah, when when did that? happen and do you that want to tell, tell us a little bit about that? The 7th of July 2003. Right, um, okay. I was working seven days a week at the time, still working by myself. I'm a sole trader. Yep. Um, and uh, I had a headache like you just would not believe, really. Mm. And um, actually, I always put it down that my um, brother who was an acupuncturist and that at the time was with me and, and definitely helped save me. But, uh, yeah, so I had a brain aneurysm. But the interesting thing, other than the fact that obviously I survived, the interesting thing about the brain aneurysm actually gave me information about my father's death. Yes. Because yeah. it is a hereditary thing right. and um, he was only 32 and they never knew whether he'd had a fall and hit his head and that's what had happened or he'd had something happen. So we, you know, had the, had a brain aneurysm and then fallen. And so yeah. now after mine, we definitely go back to the fact that um, he had the brain aneurysm first. So was it a matter of being, you know, in a location or right place at the right time, if you can be in the right place at the right time for a brain aneurysm to, to be able to survive? Is it Was it you know, the medical intervention that helped you in this instance? Absolutely. It's it's 50% of people who have them don't make them, don't make it to hospital. And then yeah. 50% of the people who make it to hospital don't make it out of hospital. So I was wow. so amazingly, amazingly lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with so are we, Deb, um, <laughs> you. that you're still still here. And um, that is, that's a thank you for sharing that with us and just sort of works with, not works with, but certainly calls out the fact that, you know, there are so many um, in our community that have had 
you know, incidences and we've heard some of those across this podcast over the last year or so and I'm sure there are so many others that just that moment where, you know, things could have turned out very different but uh, we're very thankful for the fact that you're still with us and still uh, pumping out those tech webinars, Deb. I'm sure uh, many more people will find the benefits in that now, knowing your story now. When the bookkeeping process began for you, I know that, uh, well, 1977, moving into the early 80s, that was, they were the moments that um, probably were shaping bookkeeping here in Australia because into the 80s came the PC, as you mentioned, about 19, you know, for me it was around about 1985, 86, I got my first Amstrad computer, you know, didn't have a hard drive, you had to run, you know, two discs in and out of it just to make it work. And then around about the late 1980s is when the term accounting software started to just appear on the on the horizon. And I note that you were very much there at the critical moments of that. Well, I really love technology, I must say. I really, you know, saw the advantage immediately that I saw a computerised bookkeeping. But I was lucky enough to work in the travel industry in um, 1986 and one of the things that this, we were a travel wholesaler and one of the things that we did was we actually was got software. I mean, it was DOS-based software in those days and we um, supposedly for a cheaper price, that was interesting, um, we got to help them actually develop the software. So I was flying up and down to Brisbane um, working with the software. I learnt the value of backing up because they'd give me an upgrade and I would install the upgrade and my goodness me, you know, two weeks later, I'm still trying to fix it. So I really <laughs> learnt the advantage of, you know, having a backup. And that was my first experience where you still couldn't change anything. You know, yeah. you had to do it. If you, if you made a mistake, you had to do a journal, end a day, move it over and then see, oh, whoops, I did it the wrong way around. So then you went back, did it again, ended the day and, and it was that sort of. So when I first saw NYB and it was able to be changed, I just mm. thought, oh, I love this job. <laughs> mm. And I remember sort of being around the same time starting to see NYB come in and I note that you saw it. Um, as late as the the late 80s because there was a Mac version that came out of America, wasn't there? What, what, what was that called? Yes, well, well it was... Um, Last or something like that? Was no, no, it? Last was actually an English product that Craig right. had. Right. Last okay. was a was a product that had its own modules. So you had a yeah. you bought a general ledger, you bought a sales ledger, you bought what have you, sort of $2,000 it was to get all of the ledgers. And it was on Mac. Um, yep. Because again, in the travel industry, we were in one side of the business, we were using Macs. And when I left the travel business and thought, I'm going to go out on my own rather than working for people, I will contract. And so I actually rang up Craig and said, look, I'd like to come and see you. I'm a consultant. <laughs> and well, just, for, just for the listener, Craig being Craig Winkler, the yeah, one of yeah, the founders Craig. of NYB. Yep. Yep, yes, Craig Winkler. And I went to Craig and introduced myself and said, look, you know, I'm a consultant. You know, I I'm love to work with your products and everything. And um, he put me onto a job where Matthew Addison was the accountant. Wow. And so that's how I met Matthew as well. Mm. So we're talking late 80s? Yeah, yeah, 80, uh, yeah. 89, 88, 89. 89. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably 89. Yeah, yeah the, the first alliterations of MYB were based out of America, weren't they? That was my it's, recollection yeah, of an, it. an American and, and, product, it was. Yeah, yeah, and the product that I quite often, you know, I was only showing it at a seminar recently. I've still got my original um, uh, three and a half inch disc of best books, which yes. came out, I think, around about 1990, 91, thereabouts. So, very, very early days. And um, as you referenced before, the first first alliterations were in DOS, not even in um, Windows, I think, although I think my best books was in Windows by then. But very, very different to what we're using now. Although I do recollect a story that I heard in the late 90s that, uh, not a story, but being seeing a, a fellow by the name of Chris Lee on stage explaining something that I now know he was explaining the cloud. And that was probably 10, 12 years before, you know, it was even 
perceive. So very um, innovative company at that stage, uh, MYAB, and did some amazing things. And one of the things that you reference, you know, for the bookkeepers who are tuning in and listening to this, it was quite controversial, wasn't it? Because like you said, the program allowed you to change things. And bookkeeping up to that point, that was just the big no-no in accounting and bookkeeping. If you made a mistake, you had to do a reversal journal entry. It was just not acceptable that you would just go back and delete something and re-enter it. You know, it was sort of, uh, I know the, there were many, I used to talk about this, many accountants around Bunbury with their twirly moustaches and sharpened pencils who were very, very much against this this new fandangled software because it was doing things that just weren't right. You know, they, it wasn't the right way to do it. <laughs> so, oh, and- Absolutely. I mean, I remember, and and the thing was that I would try and convince accountants that, look, it's so good when you can just change a cent. Like you've made a mistake, you've typed in the wrong figure and that's why we're using it. Look, we have this little button here that we can tick and then they can't change it. Uh, (laughs) But it was just major day, so much easier. That was the first bit of bookkeeping that I saw, oh, you know, it's taken a weight off my mind. Yeah, it was, well... We all now know it was a game changer and, of course, you know, we've since seen, you know, obviously QuickBooks made uh, inroads into the Australian market along with Reckon and then, of course, Zero is very much one of the dominant forces in our marketplace now. Uh, you know, the, the modern bookkeeper definitely has it a lot easier than what we uh, we were running around with in the 80s and 90s. And uh, although there's some fond memories too, I know I put up a, a graphic of uh, uh, version eight, I think it was, of, of um, Premier at this recent uh, seminar and, and there was lots of, ah, almost like, you know, or that was, you know, it's like a baby that they once owned and loved, you know, a young child. It was, uh, it was quite interesting to see the, the reaction of the crowd when I put that up. Oh, look, it was great because I it gave you a freedom that you could manipulate it. Like you didn't, yes, it was an accounting system, but if you needed it to to do something else like, say, work for share trading. You could yep. make it. In those days, where I, I believe we were all pretty, you know, cool or we were all pretty um, attached to actually making it work differently because we wanted to see how far we could push the software. And th- just the program itself that you got into, and obviously I was, a, a, for those who may have heard the, um, the, the podcast we did a, several episodes ago with uh, Tim Reid, we called out the, the partner program that was commenced back in the 90s, of which you and I were part of, called a QC. I, I loved being a QC. I think I was only a QC, a quality consultant, for about six months or 12 months before they became a certified consultant, but uh, I loved being a QC. I have a, have a cousin who was a judge, and I loved being able to go and tell him that I was a QC. <laughs> it's all right, I'm a QC. <laughs> and you mentioned to me recently about how cool the polo shirts were back then. I'm, I'm going. I'm going to throw it out to the listeners who were around then. Do you, and do you remember we we had several special polo shirts that were given to us as QCs and and CCs. But the, my favourite one was one that basically made me look like I'd come straight out of Star Trek. Do you remember that one? You know, it sort of had the, uh, the 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 same sort of shirt that they were toting in Star Trek at that time. <laughs> there was the polo shirt. But the one I loved the best was that blazoned across the back, mind your own business, and then yes, down the bottom, right. ask me how. And I yeah. can't tell you how many times I'm standing in the supermarket and people started talking to me. I got so many customers from those polo shirts. <laughs> Absolutely. So... We've got to start to, uh, sadly, come towards the back end of the, of this podcast. I, um, I love every moment of this and I wish I could have so much longer. But we do have to bring this to an end at some point. I want to um, start to move now more to where, where you landed with ICB. So you're one of the original members of the ICB, 2006. How did that all come about? Um, mainly because I think I sort of hounded Matthew. I... I... <laughs> Um, I absolutely, you know, where Matthew went, I sort of followed, I think. And um, they came and did a uh, conference up in Brisbane and Rick was, Rick was, Van Dyke was on board. And I'm going, you know, surely there must be something I could do. And I actually suggested a podcast back in the day. And Matthew, Matthew went, yeah, 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 yeah. And so eventually they found me a job. 
um, <laughs> to to start helping Chris McComb. And, yeah, so it's just went from there because um, I love helping bookkeepers. When I first started my business, part of my business was to actually make myself unnecessary. I wanted to teach people so that they could do it without, you know, without me. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's not a great model for your business to get ongoing, but I love being able to do the same thing with the bookkeepers to help them. And so I love the ICB. And that is your passion now, isn't it? I mean, like like we started out, you know, you've been doing the technical webinars for the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers now for over a decade. Um, I never see you tire of wanting to do more. In fact, uh, you spend uh, half your week uh, pestering me to (laughs) make sure that we've got a schedule of more webinars coming up and I love it because it shows the passion that you have to want to invest back into the bookkeeping community and to be able to to provide that wisdom and that direction and more so at a technical level uh, to be able to help bookkeepers and professional bookkeepers bookkeepers move forward here in Australia. And um, I want to take this opportunity, Deb, to thank you for all all of those many, many tech webinars that you've done and the many that you will no doubt do in the future. Well, thank you. I'm really chuffed that you asked me to do this. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I'm, we're not done yet because uh, I'm sure, I know, I'm pretty certain you've listened in on, on a few Heart of the Bookkeeper episodes in the past and we're, um, we're about to, for the for the for the record, uh, as we record this particular episode, episode twelve of Heart of the Bookkeeper, we're in December and we're coming up towards Christmas. Um, we've had a year of amazing guests, and right throughout, we've continued um, the tradition of Heart of the Bookkeeper of a little game called debits and credits, and uh, just uh, explaining it again for maybe a new listener for the first time. Debits and credits is the uh, the bedrock, the uh, the fabric of bookkeeping as we know and, uh, you know, been around since 14, the 1490s with our uh, old friend Luca Pacioli. But we, we, uh, we want to sort of put a slightly different twist on it on the Heart of the Bookkeeper podcast and we, uh, we're going to ask Deb a couple of questions now, four questions, two debits, two credits, the debit side being somewhat a little bit more serious, the credit side being a little bit more fun. So, uh, Deb, I hope you're ready. Strap yourself in. I've got a I'm couple ready. here. Uh, you know, the, the hard-hitting journalist I am, I'm going to hit you with the, the hard question first, the debit. So, do you regret the fact that you didn't get into acting and that you now find yourself in bookkeeping? Is it still a passion that burns within and you sort of lay awake some nights going, oh, you know, I wish I'd ended up being the next Margot Robbie or Hayley Mill or whoever, uh, or have you sort of moved on now with that? No, every now and then I see a part by a couple of actresses that I follow and go, yep, I could have absolutely done that. (laughs) And I still, I actually do cry um, on cue. Um, helping uh, health professionals learn how to deal with people who cry. <laughs> right, okay. So that's, uh, really? That's yeah, something yeah. you do? Yeah, wow. yeah. A, I get paid for it as well. I love it. It's, um, <laughs> it's training uh, the university who, who teaches doctors. They do it to have real people so that they get to have all different ages and what have you. And we go and we be angry or we be helpless or we cry. And I'm, I can definitely cry. And wow. um, yeah, and I get paid for it as well. <laughs> Even better still. I'm, <laughs> I didn't know that sort of thing existed. There you go. I love that. I love, I'm glad I asked the question now. I've learned something very, very new there. All right, well, we've got to move into a credit now. Um, a little bit more fun. You know, might have to think about this one or maybe you won't. So favourite ever actor or actress and why? Oh my goodness me! That's that's so hard. I mm. I love science fiction and I love oh, I, every. I lo- actually I love every movie except horror. And there's just so many great actors out there, you know, especially to for their different time period. You know, some of them are just perfect. So maybe mm. I'll go old old school and go Clark Gable. There, I'll do that. Oh, Clark Gable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, you have. Um taken us back and for for anybody who's listening in who hasn't seen a movie with Clark Gable in, uh, what, what's your fave movie with Clark Gable in? I'm thinking you're going to rattle out the one I'm going to go with, but let, no, we'll go with you because this um, is your gig, not mine. I was thinking, I think it happened one night maybe. I think that's one, of, I think that's the name of it. Or, of course, the classic Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind, yeah. You can't go past Gone with the Wind. Yeah, absolutely. 
I haven't seen that for a while, so it might be a, a Christmas uh, Netflix or something. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix, but uh, clearly uh, one of the all-time greats. Okay, two more. Back to the debit side. Another tough question. And I know that you have shared a little bit of this with me um, in recent times, but what, what's what been the toughest part of the pandemic for you? I, to see all the lack of empathy. I just, mm. you know, none of us are being gentle with ourselves and with other people. I think I would really love to see that, you know, some gentleness, some some acceptance that we're all doing it tough. When the world is, is challenged, you know, across history, I think that's where it really starts to show up that word empathy it's something that the world is crying out for right now and I think we see we we definitely see it in in certain uh, aspects of our life and you know we we call out you know those who have really been at the front line of all of this and I think that's where empathy has really shone but there are aspects of what we see in the pandemic where you, you do question people's empathy, I suppose. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting call you've made there, Deb. I, I just think, you know, there's so many people that are really angry and I would really like them to be gentle with themselves and with everybody else. Yeah, and look, you know, we obviously um, respect and honour everybody's situation and individual situation and call out the fact that we're really pleased that um, we're able to hopefully bring a little bit of light through this podcast to um, some people and uh, certainly I'm hoping that Deb's story today has has brought a, a little bit of a smile to your face at times. But I'm going to finish on this one, this question, okay? Uh, for those who again, are tuning in now and listening uh, in December or you may be listening beyond December of 2021. We are coming up to Christmas. Righto, Deb, it's the heart of the bookkeeper uh, wish list. What's the one thing, if you could have one thing for this Christmas, anything you wanted, what would it be? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the, uh, the, the open case to have anything you would like. Oh, I guess my daughter to come up to Queensland. Great answer. Love it. Absolutely love it. Christmas is family, isn't it? And uh, that opportunity has been, we call out the fact that so many people have had so many struggles and so many uh, challenges through this pandemic. And I think almost number one for many has been the, the, that distance from family and that in inability to be able to connect in the way that we just become used to. We definitely embrace that answer, Deb. Beautiful <laughs> answer. Love it. Well, Deborah Thompson, thank you so, so much for sharing uh, your story today. Um, we hope that uh, you've been able to enjoy it as much as certainly I have. Thank you for your time today. Uh, can I wish you a Merry Christmas and all our listeners a Merry Christmas? And I'll give you the last, uh, the last say. Well, thank you, Rob. Um, as I said, I'm really chuffed that I got to do this. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. I think these have been wonderful. I've had such great fun listening to the whole year's worth of art of a bookkeeper. And I hope everybody has a wonderful, safe, joyful Christmas and Happy yeah. New Year. And a great new year and a, yeah. and, a, and, a, and a fresh new year. I think that's what we're all looking for, something fresh. Deb, thanks very much. Thanks. Deb Thompson, simply thank you. What an amazing story you have just shared with us and we feel very privileged. This episode captured so much history and important understandings of where many of us find ourselves today. And for that, each of us thanks you. And a big shout out for this very last episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper in 2021 to the producer of this podcast, Nat Marshall, who only this very month has won two ACRAs for the incredible skills and passion he brings to the industry of Australian commercial radio and podcasts. Well done, Nat. We are all very proud of you. And to you, our listeners, thank you for tuning in in 2021. And we look forward to you joining us again in 2022. And as always, we love your heart. Listener.